to deal with that. But I was in fourth grade, I played the violin. And I kind of liked it, but I kind of didn't like missing other things for violin lessons, so I quit and I stopped playing the violin. So that's something I used to do, but I don't do anymore. I got some other stuff in here. This is a, uh, this is a baseball mitt. This is the actual baseball mitt that I used to use when I played t-ball. And then when I got into Little League, uh, until my hands got too big for it, but I, I used to play baseball. This used to be a regular part of my life. We'd have games on the weekends during the springtime. I'd practice twice a week. I used to play first base. Uh, ooh, still smells like baseball. So got my old baseball glove that I used to use. Got a couple other things in here that I used to use, but don't really use anymore. This is uh, hairspray and a hair comb. This used to be a regular part of my life. I'm telling you, every single day I'd be in front of the mirror, making sure I got that perfect little wave in the front just right, but uh, I don't really need that anymore. I don't really use these things anymore, but uh, they're in my backpack, and so I was just kind of in a nostalgic mood. Thought I'd reminisce a little bit and share you guys some of the uh, things that I used to do, but that I don't do anymore. And the reason I'm doing this is because Paul talks about the old ways versus the new ways. It will tell us about the, the old ways before you knew Christ, and then the new ways, the new things that you do once you have put on Christ. Paul's going to detail what was wrong with the way of life that is outside of knowing Christ. And in this, this verse that we're going to look at this morning, you're going to recognize a lot of these things. They're going to sound familiar because you'll see them in the world around you, or you may even remember them. That was part of your life before you came to know Christ. And then he's going to contrast that with what it looks like to embrace the life-giving way of being in Christ. So, before we read this passage together, this next section of Ephesians that we're hopefully going to listen for and decide what we're going to do with, uh, I want us to prepare ourselves and remind us once again that this isn't just good advice, that this isn't just what Jacob in his backpack thinks, but that this that we're going to hear is the Word of God. And we need to prepare ourselves to not just receive it, but to ask ourselves then, what are we going to do with this? Is this just going to be something that we hear? It bounces off us and we go, okay, neat. That sounds like something you'd hear in church. Or is this going to be something that's going to direct us? It's going to transform us and change our lives so that we become more like Jesus. So before we read this together, I want to invite you to sing a few verses of a familiar song with me. It goes like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's turn our eyes on Jesus. The letter continues, So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed." That, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life 
to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. This section begins and ends in the same way, which is why I included a little bit of the the first part of chapter 5 in this section. It starts and ends kind of the same way that chapter 4 starts, which we talked about a few weeks ago, that phrase, walk worthy, live a life that's worthy of the calling that you've received in Christ. In verse 17, Paul says, you must no longer live, but the Greek word there is walk, you must no longer walk in the ways of the Gentiles. And then at the end of this passage, in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, follow God's example and walk in the way of love. So it's a, it's a how-to-walk, bookended section of what it means to live in Christ. And throughout, Paul contrasts walking with Christ with walking without Christ. And here he introduces us to this concept of the old self versus the new self. And the way you can hear from this passage, there's so many descriptors of the old self, the bitterness, the rage, all these problems that we experienced when we were outside of Christ. It kind of reminds me of one of those prescription drug commercials where they present something, an option of a way that you can live, and then they're required to list all of the negative side effects. That's kind of what Paul is doing here. He's saying the way of the old self comes with a lot of baggage. It's a lot of side effects that you guys might remember, that you might be familiar with. And in these drug commercials... You know what I'm talking about, right? The, where they, there's happy people doing happy things, and there's happy music playing, but then there's this, this voiceover that describes all of these horrible side effects. Like, you can take this drug, but it might result in this, and this, and this, and you could be sick in all these number of ways. So when I watch those, I go, why would anybody do that? These, this is the strangest form of advertising that we're all just sort of accustomed to. Well, I was thinking about that this week, and I decided I would make my own commercial parody in the form of these prescription drug commercials that is based on this passage that we've been spending time in. So, uh, what is this? Oh, we already did that. Anyway, uh, go ahead and turn the sound on back there, Kristen, and take a look at this commercial here. Are you looking for meaning and purpose in your life? Are you ready to take control and finally get all the things you've always dreamed of? Ask your doctor about Old Self. Old Self gives you the freedom you need to live the life you always wanted. It allows you to stop worrying about the people around you and finally start focusing on the most important things, like yourself. Side effects may include futility of thinking, darkened understanding, separation from God, the hardening of your heart, loss of sensitivity, excessive sensuality, impurity, and greed, 
deceitful desires, falsehood, stealing, sinful allergic reaction to anger, unwholesome talk, bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice. Old Self, the freedom you need to live the life you've always wanted. What? Why would anybody want to do that? Why would anybody prescribe to that? It's the strangest thing. Paul is saying, we know what the side effects of the old self are. We know what sin does and we know how it corrupts. Why would we go back to that? We've experienced those side effects and we've said there's a new way that we want to live. He says, don't live like that anymore. It's interesting in these verses that he begins by saying, don't walk in the way of the Gentiles. Did you notice that? At the beginning, he says, don't live like the Gentiles do. That should come as a surprise to us as we've been studying through Ephesians. Because in the first three chapters, he's talked a lot about the inclusion of the Gentiles. And you might be thinking, well, I thought the Gentiles were, were cool now. Like, I thought we want them to be a part of the church. And this is true. But I think what we find out here is that though the Gentiles are welcomed in, in the same way the Jews are welcomed in and they become this new body, you can't stay a Gentile. Jews aren't even really expected to stay Jewish in the same way anymore. But of everybody who comes to Christ, there's a change that's expected. There's a transformation that is supposed to happen. You come to Christ, and you get a new identity. You guys are no longer Jews. You guys are no longer Gentiles. You guys are no longer what you were when you came to Christ, but you, come, you become something that's totally different. You're all Christians now. Your new identity is that of a christ follower. That is the core of who you are. And earlier in this chapter, Paul talks about baptism. Do you remember one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one, one God and Father of all? And uh, He talks about baptism, and I think that that image kind of comes back into play in these verses, though he doesn't mention it specifically. But it's an image that comes to mind when he talks about putting off the old self and putting on the new self in Christ. There's some evidence in the early church that baptisms were done naked. Let me say that again, because some of you weren't listening. There's evidence in the early church that when someone was baptized, they were baptized naked. Now, you could get into the research, and you could look at the, the word for naked, and you might say, well, that could mean completely stark naked, and some people do say that. You could say, well, that doesn't mean completely naked. They just take off their outer clothing, and maybe there was still loincloth or undergarments or something like that. And I will leave it up to you, however you want to use a mental picture when you think about early church baptism and Christians becoming Christians. But the fact is, uh, something was stripped off. And they would approach the baptismal font, or uh, in the first century, they were these, uh, these leftover Jewish ritual baths that a lot of synagogues would have. And the Christians commandeered those, and they became the first baptistries. Or a lot of times, baptisms were done outside in a, a lake or a river, like a moving body of water or something like that. But there would be a typical thing that would happen. You would approach the water source, and you would take off your outer clothing. You would go into the water. You would become immersed, and you would come up. And you'd be buried with Christ in baptism, like the scripture that Josh read for us from Romans 6 a little bit earlier. And you'd come out on the other side, and then you'd put on clothes again. This was an image that makes sense. This is what Paul may have had in mind when he was talking about this. And it's not that different from the baptisms we do here. Nobody gets naked, but when someone gets baptized, there's, there's a certain taking off of your clothes, and then you put on your baptism garments. You go into the water, and you come up, and then you get re-clothed. And this is what Paul is saying here. You become re-clothed in Christ. This is an image that he uses in other parts 
of the New Testament. In his letter, letter to the Galatians, he talks about this. In Romans chapter 13, he talks about this. And here in Ephesians 4, boom, being clothed with Christ. So, being a baptized believer means you are putting off things that are not of Christ. You're putting off the old ways that were corrupting, that were godless, that enslaved you to desires of the flesh and greed. And one word he uses to describe these old ways is futile. And this is the same word that's used in Ecclesiastes in the famous passage that says, meaningless, meaningless, or some of your older translations say, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's the same word here. Paul is saying the old ways that you walked in outside of Christ are pointless. They lead to nothing. They are fruitless. Baptism is kind of like this dividing line between the old and the new, from walking in the darkness and walking in the light, to being outside of Christ, to being inside of Christ, right in the middle. We have this, this moment, this experience where we put on Christ in baptism. And Paul in these verses is reminding us, this is who you are now. This is your new identity. This is what your baptism does. But here's the problem. If you don't replace the old self with the new self that is in Christ, then there's going to be this constant danger of reverting back to the old ways, these side effects that he described here. I should ask myself, if I don't need hairspray and baseball gloves and violins anymore, then why am I carrying them around? If these are things that I don't use, they're part of my old ways, then, then why do I have a backpack full of them? Why, can I, why are they within arm's reach at any given time? I think Paul would say, you don't just tuck malice and slander and greed into your backpack. And he doesn't say that here. He says, you need to take it off. You need to put off the old ways that are outside Christ. He says, you need to get rid of them so that they are no longer a temptation for you. He says, instead, put on Christ in its place. This is a problem sometimes with Christians trying to follow Jesus, is we do it in a rule-keeping kind of way. And we do that rule-keeping, we try to shun the old stuff, and we try to keep it at bay, but we forget what we're supposed to put on is the identity of Christ, this relationship, this truth of who Jesus is. And because we maybe haven't done that, we keep going back to these miserable side effects. If you don't replace these desires with something else, specifically Christ, then they're going to continue to be a temptation in your life. And sometimes, in church, we focus on the don'ts without replacing them with some do's. I don't know if you've grown up in a tradition that focused on the don'ts, but I've known a lot of people that have. Don't do this. Don't do this. Christians don't do this. Christians don't say this. Christians would never worship like this, and here are all the rules, and you better do a good job keeping them. And that becomes a weight that burdens people. Groups of Christians sometimes focus more on defining themselves by what they are not, but they don't have any idea what they are. We know what we're against. I could name all the things that we're not going to do. Well, what are we going to do? What does it mean to walk forward in Christ? I've known a lot of people my age who have walked away from church because that's how they were raised. Keep all the rules. And they say, okay, I will for a while, but when the incentive for doing so runs out, or when you realize, like, I don't even know why I'm keeping these rules. I'm missing out on a lot of great stuff, it seems, because they never knew Christ. A group of people that knows who, what they're against but not what they're for can be a very suspicious and fearful and joyless group of people. What Paul is saying here 
is that when you put on Christ, it automatically puts off the old self. The goodness of Christ replaces and negates the ways of the old self. So, instead of having to focus all day about, am I being honest? Am I speaking truthfully? Am I putting off deceit? i got to not do that, not do that, not do that. Instead, he says, Christ wants us to speak truthfully. Just If you're speaking truthfully, then you're so busy doing that that you don't have time to be deceitful. If Christ wants us to work and contribute and do something useful with our hands, then we're so busy doing that, then stealing doesn't even occur to us. If Christ models for us using words that give life and that build others up, then we're so filled with that, then we don't waste time on unwholesome talk or slanderous talk. Is this making sense? When you know what you're saying yes to, then saying no becomes so much more natural. It didn't take me long when I was in college to realize that I wanted to marry Lisa Merritt. I met her at college. Uh, I was like, boom, yes, I'm in. As soon as I can, let's do that. Uh, and it was an easy decision for me. And it's not like I had to go door to door uh, to every female on campus and say, uh, let me decide. Uh, no, it's going to be a no for you. Sorry, have a nice day. And then go to the next door and say, like, uh, no, no, you didn't quite make the cut. No to you. What do you got over here? Oh, no, I'm not going to marry you. That would have been a very long and strange day if I had to do that. Instead, I gave a resounding yes to Lisa, and every other door closed automatically. And it was nice. That's how it is with being in Christ. You don't have to systematically say no to deceit and to stealing and slander and impurity and a hard heart and all the things that go along with it. Keep the list, keep the rules. Instead, you say yes to walking with Jesus, and then you know what happens? The things of earth will go, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's the gospel that I hear. That's what I want to look forward to. That's why I want to follow Jesus. But you might hear this and say, that sounds good. And I agree that that should happen, but I still struggle with these things. Some more than others. Some in particular are a big temptation for me. Why is that? And one answer is, I don't know. <laughs> that's something that you have to work out for yourself. But that's sort of a cop-out answer. I'll give you a better answer. You might not like the better answer because it might step on some toes. Why is this still happening? Uh, maybe you haven't put them off. Maybe they're still in your backpack. Maybe you're still keeping these things within reach and they're a temptation for you. If that's the case, then I'd encourage you this morning, take Paul's advice. Put them off. Get rid of them. Distance yourself from these things. These are not the way that you're called to live in Christ. These are the ways of the old self. These are in your rearview mirror quite a ways back. Another response... Now this one, too, you might have to ask yourself this question and be really, really honest with yourself. It's not for me to say, this is you, but I want to at least bring it up. Maybe the reason that these things are still in your life or still a temptation for you is because you haven't really said yes to Jesus. If putting on Christ negates the other things, if a resounding yes to Jesus closes all of those other doors, and those doors still seem open in your life, and maybe it's because you haven't really put on Jesus. Maybe you think you have. But maybe instead of saying yes to Jesus, you said yes to a general concept of God that doesn't acknowledge the good news of Jesus' death, burial, 
and resurrection. Or maybe you just said yes to what Dallas Willard calls the gospel of sin management, trying to do better, earn your salvation, tackle these sinful behaviors one at a time. That's not the gospel. That doesn't rely on Jesus to close those doors for you. Or maybe you said yes to a sin-repellent baptism, one that tells you what you're against, but not what you're actually for, and not one that gives you a new identity as a new creation in Christ. Maybe you don't really know Jesus. Maybe you learned the rules. Maybe you learned how to talk the talk. Maybe you learned church without learning Jesus. These are good questions to ask ourselves. Because I don't want to get this wrong. I want what is described here. I want wholesome things that build others up. I want to do things that are useful with my hands. I want to honor God, and I want to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. I don't want to miss. I don't want to trip over these things. This week, I read back through the gospels. It's just a cool reminder of how awesome Jesus is. Because I was asking myself, do I know Jesus? I know of Jesus. I know Jesus to some extent. Just reliving the stories of his life, listening again to his words. Man, just flip through your Bible sometime. My Bible has the words of Jesus in red letters. So it's easy to take a gospel and just to flip through and just read what he said. What he said to the poor. What he said to the outcasts. What he said to the prideful. What he said when he was teaching. The wisdom, the creativity that he used. And I'm just like going, man, this is why I follow Jesus. It's because of who he is. Because he's the fullness of God and he's showing me how I can live. Paul says twice in these verses that we read together this morning that Christians should be like God. It's one of our goals to imitate God. In verse 24, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. I want to end this morning by just hearing these descriptions again. Hearing again what Paul says about what putting on Christ looks like. We could dwell in like, why am I so bitter? Or what's the cure for anger? Or all these things. We could get into the weeds. But instead, I want us to lean in the put on Christ direction. And let the automatic autopilot kind of kick in. Negate all of those things. So listen again. This is what life in Christ looks like. It's righteousness. And it's holiness. Not self-righteousness, that's something else. The righteousness that we admire about Jesus. Holiness, being set apart for God's work. It involves speaking truthfully to your neighbors. And this doesn't just mean not lying to them or not saying things that are deceitful to your neighbors, but if Jesus is the truth, and that means speaking the truth of Christ to your neighbors. You could ask yourself, do your neighbors know that you follow Jesus? Or you just wave at them and let them make up their own minds. Speaking truthfully to your neighbors. Doing good work, having something to share with those in need. Resolving anger and conflicts before going to bed each night. That's a good one. That's a good positive step in a Christ-like direction. I think about that one as kind of like those, uh, uh, the gunk that you leave on your dishes. Some nights I go to bed and I'm like, I don't want to do the dishes. I'll do them in the morning. And you leave the plates on the counter or you leave them in the sink. Man, that gunk is a lot harder to scrape off the next morning. Just deal with it while it's fresh. That's, anger is the same way. Resolve these things. Talk it out. Don't go to bed angry. Walking in Christ means saying things that are helpful. Let the words that come out of your mouth build up others, things that are beneficial. The whole theme of the girls' conference this coming February is tame it, and it's about letting the words that you say honor God. 
Walking in Christ means showing kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. You might hear that F word and go, ooh, I wish you hadn't said that, because that's a hard one for me. Forgiveness can be hard. I'm going to a whole series in January and February on forgiveness called The Forgiven Forgiver. And it's going to take me eight weeks to say what I'll say here in one sentence. You've been forgiven. You need to forgive. That's not from me. That's from Jesus. <laughs> he says it in a lot of different ways. We're going we're gonna, to uh, interact with it. So be ready for that. But this is what the way of Christ looks like. I want to invite the praise team to come, come on back up here and prepare us to lead, uh, lead us in a song that talks about how the beauty of Jesus comes in and floods your life and just pushes all of these other things around and how walking uh, in Christ is this beautiful thing. And I want to invite you this morning, if you haven't said yes to following Jesus, then hear Paul's invitation in the message today to take off the old self, just get rid of it altogether and put on Christ in baptism. You go into the water and you come up a new creation with a new identity, a new hope, a new purpose for living a life that is like Jesus. If you want to put on that kind of life today, you can do that. You don't have to wait. There's not a long line or process that you have to go through. If you want to say yes to Jesus, you can be baptized today. Come and talk to me about that. If you're interested in that, you can become a new creation. You can receive the Holy Spirit, forgiveness of sins, all that goes along with it, and participation in the body of Christ here.